you have a Bible this morning, find the book of Matthew. Find the book of Matthew, and we're going to be in chapter number six. Today, today this message is going to be a doozy. Uh, if that's a word, I don't really know if I use it even right. It's going to be something. It, it's, it's, it's going to be harsh at times and heavy. Uh, we've been in this message series. We've titled it King of My Heart. Just a three-part little thing. Uh, this is week number two, so we'll finish this up next week, and then we'll get into some Christmas stuff following that. But King of My Heart is priority language. It's who's first It's who matters most, who's king, who is most important in my life. And and we saw last week that the Bible talks all the time about our hearts and not talking about the, the organ inside of us like from a medical perspective, but just the deep down who you are, who I am, the core of the core of who we are. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, we looked at this last week, says, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And the picture is that there is a battle that is happening for your very heart all the time, every single day. Uh, and we are to guard our hearts because everything we do and everything we are flows out of what is deep down inside of us. And understand, there, there is a lot of churchy people doing a lot of churchy things, going to church, giving money, doing good stuff, avoiding the bad stuff. But scripturally, this following Jesus, this Christian thing is a lot more about our hearts than actually doing things and not doing things. It's about your heart. And, and at one point, Jesus even said this. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And allow me to just be harsh for a minute right out of the gate. There are a whole lot of people in our culture and a whole lot of people in our Christian churches across America who are honoring God with their lips and even with their outward things they're doing, but their hearts are very, very far from Him. And that's, it's not how this is supposed to work. And, and I'm just going to speak for myself for a moment. Like, I, I don't want to live like that. I, I, want, I want God to be my priority. I want Him to be everything to me. I want, I want Him to be first in my life, not second or third. And I don't want to live in complacency. I don't want to be apathetic about this stuff. Like, my desire is that God would be king, that he'd be king of my heart and Lord of my life. And the question that I have been asking myself is quite simply, what are the specific things that I need to be guarding my heart from? Because it's one thing to just be like, guard your heart. There's another thing to say, this is the issues. These are the things. And, and the Bible says, guard your heart, but guard your heart from what today we are going to look at, uh, what Jesus just flat out names is the number one, the number one competitor for your heart. The number one, he's going to say it. And I want to show this to you. So that's enough of an introduction. Let's get to the Bible. Matthew chapter six, we're going to start in verse number 19. Please stand with me all over this place as we read this and turn to the person next to you and say, um, I'm, I'm going to need you not to get offended. Okay. Cause I don't, I don't want to sit by you if you're going to be whiny and offended. Okay. Say that to them out loud right now. Here we go. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures 
in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse number 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Oh, he's going to talk about money. Let's pray. Uh, God, we, we do need you. And I just pray that you would uh, help me to just humbly approach this topic, humbly approach what you would say. God, we know that your word is filled with conversations about money. Some of them are harsh. But as people, let us not go into this with the wrong attitude and with our guard up, but let us truly just be humble and open and a desire within us to learn. And so, God, we just love you and we need you. In your name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. <coughs> All right, now we're a little squirmy. We were kind of dead earlier. Uh, I, I, I want to start, I want to just start by asking you to give me a little bit of grace this morning. Um, and to hear my heart in all of this, I'll just say this. It's not very fun to get up here and talk about things that make people feel uncomfortable and awkward at times and defensive. And um, it's, it's like standing up here and trying to convince everyone political stuff. It's just not fun. It's a way to get a lot of angry emails and people not like me. And today kind of has a little bit of that potential in this. Typically, you don't ask a person how much they weigh, Right? Don't do that. You also, in America, think about this. We, it, it's like not okay to ask somebody how much money they make. That's, that's weird. We don't do that. Uh, I've been in other places in the world, and it's not like that. They just talk about that stuff. But here in America, it's like this secretive thing, and it's almost like that's my, that's my business. It's my thing. Don't talk about my thing. Uh, and so many people just believe churches and pastors should avoid this conversation completely and just talk about love and grace and whatever else is smiley and fun. But the reality is the Bible is filled with conversations about money. And some of the harshest things to ever come out of Jesus' mouth while he was on earth has to do with the topic of money. And so I'm just standing right here saying I would not be a very good pastor if I avoided some of the stuff that Jesus said. Would you agree with me? Okay, nod your head. And, and so from time to time, we have to go hard places if the Bible goes hard places. And, and I, want my, like, I want to be a person that is, that is sitting in a situation just like this, saying, God, speak to me. And if I'm wrong, God, will you show that to me? So let's not start defensive here. Let's not start with, with a wall. Let's give me a little bit of grace because this isn't super fun, okay? Uh, and, and let's just go at this and say, God, what are you saying to me? Because when we, we cannot talk about God being king of our hearts without talking about our personal finances. Scripturally, we cannot, okay? So I'm not here to make friends today. I'm here to challenge you with the word of, the, word of God. That's where I'm at. So here we go, the very words of Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus is sitting on the side of this massive hill, and there is a crowd of people below him. Uh, we call this moment the Sermon on the Mount. 
And he talks about all sorts of things. He talks about prayer and the Lord's Prayer comes up. He talks about marriage and divorce and he says some harsh things about that. And then he does this, like right in the middle of this sermon that Jesus gives, he just switches and like talks about money in this section. That's what we, that's what we were looking at here. And so here's what it says, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is talking about treasure on earth and treasure in heaven. Uh, Treasure on earth, clearly just talking about stuff, things, uh, possessions, whatever word you want to use and whatever you want. Okay, And Jesus says, like, don't store up for yourself that kind of stuff, the treasures that we have here on earth. Stuff, the things you have, don't store up, don't live your life for that is what that means. Because all that stuff is crazy temporary, is what Jesus says, which is why he says moths destroy it and people steal it and vermins, which I've never used that word before, but uh, vermins will steal it too or something, okay? But store up treasures in heaven. And the implication is that because treasures in heaven are not temporary, they are permanent, they are eternal, is the word, okay? So when you think of it from that perspective, you have things that are very temporary and you have things that will last forever. And Jesus says, stop, stop focusing all your time and attention on the things that will not last. And focus your attention sometimes here, all the time here, on the things that will, that are eternal. Uh, but then he says this, and this is king of, your, king of my heart language. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he connects our stuff and he connects treasures with our hearts. And then verse number 24, Jesus just goes on. He says, no one can serve two masters. Hear the language. Listen to what he's saying here. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, interesting thing for Jesus to say. You cannot serve both God and money. This is more king language. It's priority language. It's king of my heart, Lord of my life type of stuff. You can't serve two masters. Uh, There can't be two kings of your life. We talked about that last week, but then Jesus just kind of throws and adds this unexpected twist. He says you cannot serve both God and money, and here's why that is crazy, because Jesus could have chosen anything he wanted in that sentence to be the competitor with God for our hearts. Do you hear that? He, he could have chosen anything. He could have said, you can't serve both God and Satan. And we would say, yeah, that's right. You cannot do that. Uh, you, you cannot serve both God and yourself. That could, have, that could have like fit in this. I mean, think about it. You can't do both of those things. Uh, Jesus could have chosen anything in this spot. But 100% on purpose, not by accident, Jesus chooses money. Money. And from the mouth of Jesus right here, we should look at this, and on the inside, we should think this. The biggest competition for my heart is my money. The biggest competition. Now, we're just taking what Jesus says right here, and you can make arguments from other places in the Bible, but we're focusing on the words of Jesus right here, and, and I even made a special slide just for the young, cool kids. Go put that one up here for me. Some of you older people will not understand and be able to read this, 
Uh, but I, I, I started having fun with the emoji button, and I just couldn't stop myself. But the biggest competition for, this is so dumb. Why do I do these things? Okay. The biggest competition, don't, don't miss the depth of this statement. Don't miss this. How, like, the harshness, the pointedness of what Jesus is saying, this isn't some people are going to struggle with money being their God. That's not what he says. Like, uh, like or if you're not careful, if you, like money and possessions can grip you in a way that is unhealthy if you're not careful. That is not the language that Jesus uses here. This is, it's either God or money. You, you can't serve both, and one of them is going to have your heart, and one of them is not. That's how pointed and how harsh, and money will never stop pulling. Money will never stop fighting its way into the deepest parts of who you are. This is not something that you just fix and you get, you get a handle on because every day you wake up as an American, and I was, I was reading this, I didn't write the statistics down, but you should look up and Google search the amount of your life that's going to be spent watching ads and commercials. It'll make you sick. It is weeks, weeks and weeks of your life throughout your lifetime that you will spend watching ads, telling you to buy things, showing you that your phone is not as good and that your car, is, and you need to upgrade this and buy this and you, you are not an American if you don't have this. This will pull at you all the time, every single day. Another passage of scripture, the Bible just says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Now the Bible does not say that money is the root of all evil. That's misquoted. Money is not the root of all evil. But the love of money is the root of all evil. That is harsh stuff. This is hard. And, uh, and it's very easy. In fact, it's completely normal for money to have our hearts. That's normal. It's, and, it's, and it happens because, because with money, we find happiness. Now, it may be temporary happiness, but you can't convince me that it's not fun to buy things in the moment, Right? Okay, some of you are like, no, 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 money, money. Okay, it, it's fun to buy things. It doesn't last. It's temporary at best. Okay, but it's fun. And with money, we find security, don't we? Like, it's nice when you have a retirement account and you have a savings account and the car breaks down and you're like, oh, no big deal. Okay? And, and we have, we, like, there's security in having money. We feel better about ourselves and better about our future. With money, we even find a, a little bit of self-worth. Like, look what I have done. Look what I have achieved. Look what I have earned in that way. Look what I have. But Jesus is just saying to us, this is a slippery slope and a whole lot of people are slipping. It's what, what we have. And it's so easy for us in this place to just be like, yeah, there's some people that need to hear this. And I'm just telling you if, you, if you walk through these doors today, if you're watching behind a screen, there is at a level a place where you struggle with this, with money in your heart. It's not if and it's not some. Every single one of us, this is a pull and this is difficult, okay? So understand in this conversation about God being king of our hearts, money is a problem and all of this right here is why we have that word. And you don't know what that word is yet, but it's a word you really only hear in church. 
And it's a word that makes a lot of church-going people kind of cringe. Uh, it's a word that causes people sometimes to leave churches and, and to say things like, all the church wants is my money, okay? And I'm just going to put the word on the screen and watch you squirm a little bit. For some of us, go ahead and put that up here for me. That's the word. The word is tithe. And see, this entire situation, let me unpack this a little bit. What Jesus is talking about with money in our hearts is why God created this word and this system called tithe. And what I want to do for you, just for a few minutes, is I want to ask you to give me some grace and to give me a minute or so where you just allow me to explain this from a biblical perspective of what God is doing with this word and how it relates to us and our hearts. This word really only shows up in the Bible. It's not a word we use other places, okay? And so let's go. Let's get this. Ushers, please go ahead and lock the doors for just a second, okay? And if you want, right now in your seat, you can start the email. Uh, let, me help, let me help you. Dear Pastor Kyle, I hate your stinking guts. You make me vomit. You don't know this, little rascals? Come on. You are the scum beneath my toes. All right, there we go. Between my toes. There it is. All right. Uh, but let, let, let's do this. Let's look at this. Uh, let's start here. Most of the Bible was written to and about the Jewish people. The people of Israel, the Hebrew people, whatever you want to call them. Uh, in fact, the first five books of our Bible that we have, the Bible is 66 books. The last 27 of them are really about Jesus and forward. But we have a couple thousand years of history before Jesus in the Bible. The first five books are called... In the Hebrew word is the Torah, T-O-R-A-H. It just means the law, the Jewish law. And Moses was up on this mountain, this is thousands of years ago, and God uh, meets with him face to face. Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments on these tablets, and there's a lot that goes into this. But through Moses, God puts together this beautiful covenant with the people, with the Jewish people. And basically it's this, it's the best, this is the best way for you to live your life. And you follow me and I will take care of you. I'll be your God. You, okay, and, and this is going to be fantastic. You just listen to what I have to say because I know the best way for you to live is what this is this beautiful thing. And, and sometimes the law and this type of stuff in the Bible gets a bad rap in these days because we say things like God's all about rules and laws and do this and don't this, whatever and all of that. But it wasn't like that. It, it really was this beautiful and helpful thing that God created for the people of Israel. But part of that Jewish law, and then it's an extensive amount of writing, part of that Jewish law was that people would bring a tithe to the Jewish temple. And the idea of tithe comes up before this law, but, but this is really where we see this kind of come to the front. Uh, Leviticus chapter 27, one of the first five books, says this, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And, so, and just so that you understand, the word tithe comes from the Hebrew word mazer, mazer which literally just is translated a tenth, a tenth. That's all that word means. Tithe just means tenth. Easy to define, easy to understand. A tithe cannot be 5%, and a tithe cannot be 15%. The word tithe just means tenth. That's what that word means. But tithing 
is this Jewish principle that God gave them of returning to God the first 10% of what he gives you. And a few thousand years ago, when God put this into place, much of this was crops and even like when animals were born. 10% of the harvest would be brought to the temple. 10% of the animals that were born. And 10% of all the income that a person made would be brought to the Jewish temple uh, to be able to do all. 10% return to God. 10% belongs to God is the language we see over and over. Well, why did God make this a law for the Jewish people? What was his reasoning? What is he doing with this? And we could go in a handful of directions with this, but I believe that all of it can really be put in two boxes, okay? One box was very simply about funding the work of the Jewish temple, funding the worship, funding all of that was happening in the religious center of everything that these people were. But the second box was clearly about the hearts of the individual people. Now let's unpack this a little bit. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy lays this out again, which is a part of the Jewish law, okay, part of our Bible. It's, again, it's the law written for the Jewish people. Deuteronomy 14, be sure to set aside a tenth. That word tenth is the Hebrew word tithe. They're interchangeable. Of all that your fields produce each year, eat the tithe of your, of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always, okay? Talking about the place God chooses as the dwelling place for his name. Later, this is going to be the temple. Uh, but also, we do this so that you may learn to revere the Lord, is what it says. That's why you do this. So first, let me just address how God created the tithe to fund the temple. This is super practical, and it's kind of fascinating stuff for me. There's a book in the Bible called Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah is a fantastic book. If you're looking for a book on leadership and prayer and following God, it's this beautiful book of the Bible. But basically, uh, the city of Jerusalem was invaded by Babylon, and uh, they destroyed Babylon, or they destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed Israel. The Jewish temple was crushed to the ground, Thousands and thousands of people were killed. It was a horrible event in history. And thousands of people were actually marched 500 miles from Jerusalem to Babylon to be slaves. And this is where we have the book of Daniel and Daniel in the lion's den. He was, he was marched, okay, and all this type of stuff. Seventy years later, uh, Babylon goes through some different leadership change, and they let the Jewish people go back. And so the, Jew, the Jewish people, 500 miles, not all of them, some of them stayed, and it's kind of a messy thing throughout the middle of the Bible. But they go back, and the city is in ruins. And Nehemiah stands up and says, this isn't okay. We've got to rebuild. And specifically for Nehemiah, he was passionate about them rebuilding the walls around the city, which was a, a massively important thing in, in history to have the walls around the city. They had all been crushed. And so Nehemiah leads this beautiful movement where in, in like 60 days, they rebuild the entire wall. As a, it's just incredible, supernatural things and all of that happens. But then we get to the end of the story. And he writes this. This is Nehemiah chapter 13. It said, he writes this. He said, I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites 
had not been given to them. And that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So the Levites were the, the minister, they were ministers in the temple, is what this was. And the people had stopped tithing. We're going to see this word come up as I read more. Okay? The people had stopped tithing, and the ministers in the temple had gone back to the field. Why did they do that? Because they, they, they needed to have money for their family. And so the temple is almost like deserted completely at this point because there's nobody working in the temple. There's nobody doing anything. And so they're all, all the ministers are back in this way to provide for their families. Verse number 11, so I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. Verse 12, all Judah, which is just a a word for this entire people group, all Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil to the storerooms. This is a temple word. We're not going to talk through it, but I put uh, this guy, the priest, and the scribe, and a Levite named this guy in charge of those. Now we got all this type of stuff because they're trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. So let's unpack this. Nehemiah is saying like, guys, the city is falling apart. We've got to fix this. Everyone's just kind of living for themselves because everyone is trying to figure out how to survive and how to build, rebuild their own stuff and all this. But then he just says, God deserves better than this. And that's enough. We're going back to God and we're going to prioritize him again. And then tithing comes up and the people start tithing and the temple really had stopped functioning and it all comes back and begins to Okay, it begins to happen the way that it was. This was God's way. This was God's plan for the Jewish people from the very beginning to fund the work of the ministry in the temple, to, to fund the, the, the people who worked in the temple, that they would have food, to, to fund how things work and to rebuild things and to have worship and to help the needy. And all of these things, this thing called the tithe, was put in place by God in a very practical way to fund the temple. Are you with me so far? Okay, so that they could do all of that. Now, check this out. Relevant Magazine did an article um, just titled, here's the title, What Would Happen If Every Christian in America Tithed? And by the way, uh, tithers, people who actually give 10% of their income, uh, make up about 10 to 15% of the average Bible-believing church. 10 to 15 percent, and I will just say this, like 20 percent of every church, 20 percent of the people easily fund over 80 percent of everything. Like it's a very small group that actually, that actually like dives into this financially to help this in that way. Uh, Another way that I would say it is 10 to 15 percent of Christians are experiencing the miracle of tithing in their life and their family. Now, Listen to this from the article, What If Every Christian Tithe? If every Christian started to tithe in America, there would be an additional $165 billion for churches to use and distribute. To put this into perspective, $25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years worldwide. $12 billion could eliminate literacy, illiteracy in five years worldwide. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues 
specifically in the places where in our world, a billion people in our world right now live on less than a dollar a day, and water is one of their main issues that they deal with. $15 billion could solve that. $1 billion could fully fund all overseas missions work. And $100 to $110 billion would still be left over for additional ministry expansion projects for the American church to do. Come on, somebody. This is God's plan for how this is supposed to work. It's almost like he just understands and knows how the church could be the hope of the world. And we put that into perspective. No wonder the enemy has purposely attacked the American Christian with materialism and greed and mistrust of churches and church leaders. Satan is filling our minds with, you don't have to do this. That's not a good idea. You got to keep up with everybody else. You don't have enough for your, you need to keep more. You did this. You made this. You earned this. This is yours. And so what is happening? So we have an underfunded American church that's not able to go out and do everything that God has asked and called them to do. And think about what the church could do if we were fully funded, the church here and the church around the world. This is God's plan. In a very practical way, the plan of God would explode the kingdom of God. Unbelievable. But also, God knew this. God knew that money would be the number one competitor for our hearts. And so God creates this tangible way for the individual person to learn to keep God first and to keep God king, and to keep God priority. And when we read about tithing, we see the word first a lot. Proverbs chapter 3, honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will bring over with new vine. The word first fruits is tithing language. We see that all the time. God sets up this plan for his people to keep him first. And what we see in the Bible and I wish we had time to unpack this more, but we don't, okay? What, what we see in the Bible is that people who are moving, people whose hearts are moving towards God scripturally, they tithe. People whose hearts are moving away from God, it's like they, move, they, 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 they get rid of this idea. We see this scripturally. We see this with a man named Abraham in Genesis 14. We see this with Jacob in Genesis 28. And for the sake of time, we're not going to read them. But Malachi chapter 3 is the best example probably the most famous tithing Bible passage and the harshest of them all. And we're just going to look at it because we should, okay? We see people who are moving away from God in Malachi chapter 3. It says this, Every time, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and not kept them. These are people who are moving away from, their hearts are moving away from God. They have turned away and then God just says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? And the answer should be like, will you start going to church, right? Start going to church. and do that. God, God is saying to these people, move towards me, not away. And they say, how should we return? Verse number eight, God just continues, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, interesting language here. People moving away from God, away from obedience, away from devotion to God. Their hearts are moving away from God. And the language that is used is that because these people 
are not tithing. They're actually robbing God. They're robbing him of what is his. Like, can it get any harsher than this? I think it can. Verse number nine. Okay, you're under a curse. Good night. The whole nation, because you are robbing me. And then verse number 10, everything switches and God just gives this answer and he uses this language of like, you have an opportunity and it's this beautiful thing as he switches. So it's like harsh, 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 harsh. And he's like, come on, somebody. And he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's this temple area they keep the things. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it craziness. This, what, what, it's, what a passage of scripture. And it can be easy to read this stuff through the eyes of like robbing God and curse. But this is a beautiful invitation for these people is what we have here, where God is just reminding them of what can happen if they will begin to put him first and make him king of their heart. Hearts moving towards God, like they tithe. Hearts drifting away, they don't. And then we get this beautiful stuff about blessing and pouring and floodgates and all this type of stuff. There's, there's no question scripturally that God promises to take care of those who keep him first in their finances. But that's not the focus of today. This is about our hearts and this beautiful principle. God has put this beautiful principle together. Do you feel this? Like just what he has done to keep our hearts moving in his direction. Because where our treasure is, there our heart is also understand this god does not need your money he doesn't need your money like god god creator of all ruler of the universe he doesn't need your stuff he's so much bigger than that this is not about him and that like this is about our hearts that he has our heart he has our soul he has our stuff and he has everything music team will you please come but let me just say something pointed. And you're like, Pastor Kyle, you've been saying everything pointed. I'm tired of pointed. Okay? Just don't, just don't hate me, please. Jesus is not king of your heart if he's not first in your finances. He's not king of your heart if he's not first in your finances. If you are first in your finances, you are king of your heart. I don't know any way around that. Like, and so here we are at a crossroads of where, where do you want this to go with your relationship with God? Because here's the option. The option is mediocre, apathetic Christian in America who comes to church when they have time, who gives money if they have extra, or there is this fully devoted follower of Christ where Jesus is king. And those are very far from each other. And you can't just live this in-between thing and expect to have all of the benefits that God promises. See, some of us, we, we like God is last in our finances, yet we are still fully there saying, God, I need you to help me with my finances, but understand you're always going to be last. Can you feel, can you feel the tension in this? We have this biblical, beautiful thing that God has created 
to fund the work of his ministry, to fund the church and the temple and the spread and what he has asked us to do. At the same time, we have this beautiful thing that is a very tangible way for the people, the individual people to say, God, you are first in the thing that is number one competitor. You are first in that. And I'm showing you that by being obedient to you. So we're at a crossroads. We're at, well, they're like, there's a choice that has to be made. And at this moment, 10 to 15%, 85 to 90% of the American church is saying, giving some lip service to God, God is not truly king. And at the risk of, like I was just praying through this, and I was saying, God, I know you are, I know you are asking me to be harsh today because you are, you are harsh with this topic. You are pointed with this topic. And so I, I felt like I had to be like blunt with some of this at the same point. What I don't want is for us to walk out these doors feeling like a bunch of losers and saying, wow, I'm awful. I'm like, what you have in front of you, what we have in front of us is this beautiful opportunity that God has laid out. That's what this is. It's an opportunity to be obedient. It's an opportunity to put God first. It's an opportunity to show him in a tangible way that he is king. And I understand that this is complex. And I understand that some of us, you are here and your spouse is not. And I understand that things are messy. And I understand that some of us say, I have no idea in the world how I could ever fund that and pay that and it does not add up. I understand the complexity of all of this that we have. But I'm just convinced, and this is what I have found in my life, that like 90% with God just goes farther than 100% by myself. And I don't understand it. And I don't, I, don't, I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know what's going on. But, but this is just who I am. And my kids from a very young age, by the way, every penny they have earned, every dollar they have earned from the time they were like this, they've tithed. I'm passionate about this. It has transformed me. It has changed my life in a beautiful way. And you have an opportunity. Please stand with me all over this place. unashamedly blunt today. I don't love it. It's not super fun for me. It's not. I don't like when I talk and people look at the ground. Like, that's not fun. Um, but I just have no desire to have a church filled with wishy-washy, halfway people. And I'm not saying that we can't be growing and, and, and we're at different spots and all that type of stuff. But God, I believe God is just presenting an opportunity today for us to put him first. God, we look to you and I pray that you would, I pray that you would help and I pray God that if I said things wrong and offended people, God, that you would just 
show grace and help. That's not my desire. God, I humbly just want us as a church to keep you first, to keep you king. And God, we understand, and even right out of the words of Jesus, we have this harsh thing, the topic of money. God, show us and teach us. We love you. We need you. In your name, we pray. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from there. The, the, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You cannot serve both God and money. Where your treasure is, your heart may be also. So what does this look like? It's a budget thing. It's where you begin to prioritize God in your budget. Where you, where you can look at your budget and you can say God is first in that. That's what that looks like. And you figuring out how to do that is really your call. But for me, when I look at the Bible, God's laid it out for me. With no one looking around, just a time of privacy and reflection. The craziest thing happens sometimes. We'll have first-time guests walk through our doors and we talk about a topic like this. And it used to scare me to death. They're going to come in and they're just going to think, all oh, this church wants my money. This is another, okay? But sincerely, what I have found is that when we as people begin to show why God matters so much to us and we even begin to live in ways that are different, it preaches the best message you could ever preach to someone who is even here for the first time. And maybe you're here, maybe you walk through these doors and you've never been here. You've never been to a church like this. And, and, and can I just say, there is a beautiful God who loves you. And it's not just about religion, and it's not just about doing certain things and not doing certain things, even though maybe that's the way some of today felt. But this is about our hearts. And when we begin to give our hearts again and again to God and respond to this beautiful thing that he did by sending Jesus, I'm just telling you, there is no better way to live. The Bible actually says... It's when you lose your life that you actually find it. It's a weird verse that Jesus says. You lose your life and you actually find it. And if you're here today, maybe you're here and you have never responded to the message of Jesus. You've never, like, deep down in your heart said yes to him. And you want to do that today. If that's you, I just want to ask you to raise your hand right now. And I just want to pray for you. There, thank you, thank you. There's nobody looking around, anybody else that would just say, this is my day. I want to respond to Jesus. I want to respond to that. Church, let's just pray this together. Pray, pray, Father God, I give you my heart. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins and change my life in your name. Come on, put your hands together.